Now please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to the exhortation passage this morning, which is from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them for the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who... Loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Disney movies are to blame for many of our problems. And yes, I realize that now the female half of the congregation is probably scowling at me as I say such things. However, let me read to you a quote from Tolkien I was recently made aware of concerning Walt Disney's work. Quote, I recognize his talent, but it has always seemed to me hopelessly corrupted. Though in most of the pictures proceeding from his studios, There are admirable and charming passages. The effect of all of them is to me disgusting. Some have given me nausea, he says, end quote. So ladies, who are you going to go for now? Now you must choose between Tolkien and Disney. I, for one, agree with Tolkien. There's often a good deal to enjoy from Disney movies, however, but the overall effect is always concerning. But why? Because the effect of most of their movies is something akin to the pagan notion of love yourself. Be authentic. For example, in the recent movie Jasmine, I mean Aladdin, sorry, excuse me, it was mostly about Jasmine. The point is not to be better, but to be yourself, as the genie says. That is, Disney again promotes a pagan viewpoint that says our inherently selfish desires are somehow inherently good because they're ours and they belong to our authentic self. Our inherent desires, whatever they might be, are who we really are and ought to be always encouraged. Self-love, or at least some idolatry which attaches itself to self-love, is the focus of much of what is in Disney. Yet, as we turn to our text... If Tolkien was close to vomiting from seeing Disney in the 1950s, I can only imagine he would have died if he'd seen our own today. As this, still, this self-love focus is really quite common 
For all my criticism of Disney, there's much to enjoy if you're careful. Why be careful? Because Disney is probably one of the worst culprits in trying desperately to catechize young people in this self-destructive paganism. But the paganism, the sin of self-love, is ancient. It's not new. It's not in Disney uh, newly. In fact, we see it all over the Bible, which brings us to our passage, which we'll find out is all about this old, dusty paganism, which Disney loves to show as some kind of progressive thing. Let's start with the pagan, Balaam, mentioned in verses 15 through 16 of 2 Peter 2. But first, let's go to Numbers 22. This is the story that is looked to in the Bible here in this passage. As we get to our first section, the wandering way of cursed Balaam. Balaam is really a strange figure in Scripture. He's used as a type, a kind of person that we see everywhere in Scripture, which is a type, a self-loving false prophet. He's first mentioned, and the bulk of his story is contained in Numbers 22 through 24. Numbers, we ought to remember, consist partly of census data, you know, numbers indicating how many tribes there are, how many people there in those tribes, etc., and partly of Israel's wanderings in the wilderness. Remember, after the Exodus, Israel had grumbled against God and sinned against God in Numbers 14 specifically, so that generation was judged by God never to enter into that land of promise and wander in the desert for 40 years. God gave the book of Leviticus to Israel, as we've been learning, to know how to enter into his presence and the land of promise without dying from being in his presence. So God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years because it was too dangerous for that current generation to enter into the land and as a punishment. And Numbers contains their stories of wandering. In fact, the Hebrew name for Numbers is in the wilderness, which is very helpful. Anyway, to set up our story about Balaam, which is in Numbers, after the great victories of Israel against King Sihon and Og, their enemies, the Amorites, Balak, the king of Moab, was afraid, understandably, of Israel and sent for an expert to help Moab against Israel. That expert was Balaam, son of Beor, and Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel. Balaam is an expert in divination and obviously has some kind of knowledge of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Balaam is not quite sure he can curse Israel, but for the sake of that money and honor, he sure will try. Although he says many things like, Though Balak were to give me the house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the command of the Lord, he says in Numbers 22:18. Balaam goes against this constantly and continues to inquire of the Lord if he can curse Israel, even when God has already said no multiple times. Although God expressly commanded Balaam not to do what the Moabite king Balak wanted him to do, Balaam essentially said, let me pray about it. To Balak, as if he could get away with it if he prayed enough to God to manipulate him into doing these things. He really wanted that money, and also how much we are like him, unfortunately. He wanted it so much that God said to him, if the men have come to call you, rise and go with them. Essentially saying, okay, Balak, or rather, Balaam, you want that money so bad, go for it. 
Follow your heart. Follow yourself. Be yourself. Follow the king's men and use all your knowledge at your disposal. And let's see how this will turn out. Are we seeing a theme beginning to emerge here? Balaam is a man who says he knows God, yet he doesn't really, in the end, care about what God has to say unless it conforms to his already present desires. This king, Balaam, cares about himself and his own happiness, and he certainly knows his own worth, so that he's going to climb the ladder of success. Balaam was being his authentic self, It was only God who told him he couldn't do it. But why would he let God stop him? We ought not to be surprised then that God was displeased that Balaam decided to go with King Balak to attempt to get unrighteous wealth because God was already displeased with Balaam, trying to manipulate God into complying with his desire for money and fame. To humble Balaam, God makes an unreasoning animal, speak to him and rebuke him for wanting to go down this path of self-destruction and self-love and war against the command of the Almighty God. And what's even worse for self-loving Balaam is he argued with that donkey and he lost. Then God himself appears to Balaam and says to him, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. Numbers 22, 32. And this may be the strangest thing of all in this story, which really shows that Balaam was overcome with a kind of madness, the madness which sin produces in us, as Peter says, in his desire for money and honor. That is, his desire for self-blessing and self-love was a madness to him. God comes to him, and Balaam repents before God and says, I have sinned, for I do not know that you stood in the road against me, Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. But how could he not know that it was evil? He he had tried already multiple times to forget his word. I did not know that you stood in the road against me, he says. But of course, God is against him. If his command is against what Balak wants you to do, Balak, self-love is a kind of madness which forgets everything against its own path or a self-actualization. It wants to be its own self-authentic person and prefers self-destruction even in the face of God. Notice, God doesn't forgive Balaam here, but he does give him a command. He says, go with the men, speak only the words that I tell you. God's going to let this play out, use Balaam to show his glory and make an example out of Balaam for all time. God is going to use him as an example of those who value self over God, even in the face of God. God essentially says, go and find out what your truth will do for you. As we hurry on to the conclusion of this story that is so important to understand in understanding our passage in 2 Peter 2, let us notice that Balaam had some kind of repentance. This, is, this will become more important next time we're in 2 Peter. But we know this because he intends only to say what God tells him to say. And this is a good thing, which is fine. Which he says to King Balak's face in Numbers 23 through 24. Balaam is told by Balak to curse Israel, and he attempts to do this three times in three different places. Balaam, incredibly, even after meeting God himself on the road, attempts three times to curse Israel. His son, God's, almighty God's people. This is a man who is mad after money 
and fame, mad for himself. For example, would a sane man spit on, curse, and pick up a chair to hit the son of a great king when in his presence and even told not to do these things? This is what Balaam is attempting to do. He's trying repeatedly for money, after God told him not to, to curse and maim Israel for God's beloved son, as God's beloved son in front of his face. After failing three times, Balaam speaks a prophecy in the face of Balak of a coming savior, even using this false prophet to speak true things. It says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, which is Jesus Christ. We know that this is the uh, prophecy of Jesus. Even after all this, God shows that even this kind of idolatry cannot overcome God and his purposes. God used sinful, unwilling Balaam as a mouthpiece for this exultant prophecy of Jesus, our Savior, and his coming. But this is not the end of the story. Actually, Balaam still apparently sought the money that Balak was giving him for cursing Israel. At the end of Numbers 25, uh, or rather, of the end of Numbers 23, 24, rather, goodness, he, uh, he runs away from Balak because he threatens to kill him. But in Numbers 25, we see that he tries to get Israel to sin. He puts Israel up to sin. Balaam thought he could curse Israel by sending in Moabite women to tempt Israel to sin. And he was right in that a plague did indeed come against Israel for their sin. Revelation 2 comments on this and confirms this, saying, Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Balaam thought that he found a loophole in his way of cursing Israel. He tried to curse them by getting them to do evil, making them sin, and he finally indeed got what he was looking for. He got his money from Balak. But Balaam then came to a swift end, as we see in Numbers 31 as well, as he died with the rest of Moab. Sin certainly is a curse. Balaam got that right, and Israel paid for sinning against God. However, although he eventually got his money from King Balak to his own view of self-blessing, he was now blessed with the money that he had decided to go after, God never cursed Israel, but turned all those curses into blessings. Israel cursed themselves with sin. The story is about Balaam, but the lesson in Numbers 22 through 24 is really about God. No matter how hard you try to make God into your servant or change his mind through manipulation, God is God, and what he says he will do, he indeed will do. He is beholden to no one but himself as he is God and to what he says. And if he has decided to bless someone or curse against them, he will do these things. But we also learn a lesson about self-love, and this is where Peter is going to go. It's a kind of raving madness about one's own desires that takes over you and makes you lose your reason so that even a donkey can argue against you and win. It's a kind of brain rot drunkenness on the self that makes a person think that he can fight God and win. Self-love is a kind of focus on your own happiness and own worth and own honor that you'll do anything even things that will obviously curse you and kill you, as happened with Balaam, to get that coveted desire. Now, understanding the story of Balaam, let us use this new knowledge to understand Peter 
and his highly related point in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10-16, through 16, where Balaam is mentioned by name. Balaam, again, is a type of these false teachers that Peter is dealing with in his own day. Notice the similarities as we briefly go through these things in verses 10 through 14. Try to go through them quickly in this second section, the wandering way of the cursed wicked. Wandering way of the cursed wicked. They are, verse 10, indulging in the lust of defiling passions. Balaam did this when he tempted Israel to sin in the wilderness. And so are the false teachers in Peter's day tempting the people of God to sin for their own monetary gain, as Balaam did. These false teachers incur the fatherly discipline of God and repent or show themselves to have never been Christians at all and throw themselves into the curse of greater and greater sin until the eventual judgment. Verse 10, as we continue, bold and willful. Balaam was tenacious in seeking for honor and wealth. He was indeed bold and willful, and he would let nothing else get between him and his desire. At least in his own mind, he would let not even God stop him, although, of course, God did stop him, kill him, and curse him. The false teachers are bold to make new interpretations of Scripture to suit their passions, as we saw in 2 Peter 1. And they loved their passions enough that they would listen to none other than themselves. They were confident in their own worth. And they would be cursed and die confident in their own worth. They were so confident that they were to slander anyone and everyone who spoke against them. We see this in verses 10 through 12. They pronounced blasphemous judgments. They blaspheme the glorious ones. They blaspheme about what they are ignorant. Blaspheming, blaspheming or blasphemeo, is used three times in this section. They're so confident in themselves. They've let go every criticism of themselves, even from God himself and angels. And they feel free to criticize, although without any power, as finite, dependent creatures. They feel free to criticize beings far more powerful than themselves, angels, as if they were God himself. They're so full of self-love that they think themselves more glorious than angels. They have a type of madness, as we've seen, for sin, and sin has made them mad, as they are reveling in their deceptions. And here, this shows us that this madness is not some kind of stupidity. It is a kind of knowledge of themselves, a kind of knowledge of their desires. They know deep down what they're doing and what they're saying is wrong. They're reveling in their deceptions. But they don't care because they love their sin so much. Balaam knew his going down the road to Balak and his repeated attempts to curse Israel and gain money was sinful. They were wrong. But he did not care and he kept at it. Only when Balak threatened to kill him did he leave. And then he apparently came back for more money as we've seen. He thought apparently like the false teachers that God maybe was blind to their deceptions. That is, as Peter says, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They don't care. Even if God did see, they don't care who sees. Even if it's God himself. It's their truth. It's their desire. It's their blessing, they say. I decide what is good. For Jesus is my only Savior, they would say. I am my own Lord. I decide what is blessing and what is good. Not God. He can look and curse all he wants. They count pleasure to revel in the daytime while they, they feast with you. They were blots and blemishes at their love feasts. These were people who were in the church. 
And why are they blots and blemishes? They're not only sinful, but they make others and desire others to be sinful. They manipulate these people to make sinners around them. Sin is not satisfied with being alone. It wants to be accepted by others that it might sin more and more to satisfy a heart which knows it is wrong. By the church allowing these people to have their membership, the church was being defiled without the elders of that church doing something. They have eyes full of adultery. Literally, their eyes are full of adulterous women. What a degrading view of the church, of half of the church. If there are no adulterers, they'll try to make these women adulterers. Balaam did this. He enticed the entire nation to sin in adultery in Peor. Why? For profit, as we see even in this section. He wanted the honor. He wanted the money. These people are well described in verse 14. Insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls. These people have, verse 15, literally said, as verse 15 literally says, left the straight way, the orthodox way. Their way is crooked and cursed. They are cursed, and verses 12 through 13 say these Balaams of Peter's day will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong for the wages of their wrongdoing. That is to say, the wages of sin is death. How does Peter sum up these people as we conclude this section? Verse 14, accursed children. That is to say, they are in the crooked way of the curse, the crooked way of a curse of their own making. These people walk in the crooked way. And although they think because they live in their own self-love and self-wisdom, they have found the way of life. They are children of the curse. Self-love is to call blessing what God calls curse. Self-love is to live a cursed life of so-called success. Self-love is to live a life of so-called pleasure, so-called blessing of our own torturous making. So are you a self-lover? Do you consider what God has to say, or do you walk in your own way? Pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, reliant upon your, yourself and your own wisdom in these things. Are you a self-lover? Are you so confident of your own self-worth and your own way that you will not deign to hear God's words, even when it comes to you with a sword? Do you listen to God? Or when you listen to God, why Or to the sweet voices do you listen, which come from your own heart and support your own heart's sinful desires? Do you listen to self before you listen to God? Or do you even consider God before making a large decision, if not even a small decision? Then hear this from the text. You are an accursed child, and you will walk the way of Balaam unless you repent, if you do not consult God in your life. Tempting yourself and tempting others to sin, you will seek happiness and you will never find it. You will argue with beasts and lose, and you will only be ready to be caught and destroyed. But here's a beautiful window into what it means to be a Presbyterian, brothers and sisters, the complete opposite of self-love. To be a Presbyterian, to understand the mind of a Presbyterian, is not to be focused on tradition or on form or order or to so value family that you continue to come to Presbyterian services. What does it mean to be a Presbyterian? 
to be so focused upon the love of God and the love of each and every golden sentence which comes from his word that we will follow wherever it leads. Whatever the consequences, however stupid we seem to the world, however the world disregards us or even our brothers and sisters disregard us for holding as much gold in ourselves that others may regard as non-essentials, However much this may be said against us Christians, what do we say? All of God's word for all of life. If it can be certainly ascertained from scripture, then just as certainly is our rule for life and our way. Whatever our own reason or will desires have to say about it. There are no commands that are mere suggestions to a Presbyterian. There is no certain truth in scripture that is only half important For our living and walking, to be a Presbyterian is to so love God that we love, submit, and depend upon his word in every particular for our path entirely. Presbyterians do not follow our hearts. We follow the spirit into the way of blessing, the only way which he alone has declared in truth. This is the straight path that these heretics have walked away from. They walk in the blessings invented in their own brains not regarding the one from whom all blessings flow. As we go to our third and final section, the straight way of blessed suffering cross-bearers, the blessed way of the blessed suffering cross-bearer. This way of self-love, of following one's own heart, the way of Balaam, the seed, as we have seen, is in all of us. Paul calls us by nature children of wrath, as Peter calls these false prophets, accursed children. The secret vices of Christians are not better than these false teachers. They're just less developed or more secret. We attempt to overpower God's way with our own desires far more than we even realize. The straight way which Balaam forsook was self-denial. To get out of self and to take up our cross and to devote ourselves to God, whom, to whom we are dependent, and to devote ourselves to one another. Calvin has this to say on this righteous straight path that Balaam and all those like him blasphemed against in Peter's day and in our own day. He alone has duly denied himself, who has totally resigned himself to the Lord, that he permits every part to be governed by his will. Every part. How do we walk this way? We walk in the way of Christ, who took up the cross first. In regard to others, Philippians 2.13, consider others more important than yourself. We also, Romans 12.10, outdo one another in acts of service and acts of honor. So doing them good that we forget about our own honor. And we are consumed with the honor of other people. We realize, unlike the greedy Balaams, even our own day, that God gives us our talents and God gives us our money to bless his creation. So that to take our, our cross is to so consider others that we have, as Calvin says, a reverence for others and a lowly humility toward ourselves. Or what's far better, as Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, we so love the brothers and sisters and the poor that As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
how far this is from taking Jesus merely as Savior and not Lord. This is what it means to not be our own Lord. Everything we own, every talent that we have, we use it for God's glory and for God's ends. We obey God and not ourselves. We know our worth. We are sons of God, but we also know our place. We are sons of God and subject to his authority to bless us as only he pleases. So that our money cannot and ought not be for ourselves, or so we sin like the heretics. After securing the life of our family, yes, and those in our charge, yes, we look first to the advantage of others and to the neglect, especially in the neglect of ourselves. We value our brother's advantage more than our own. All money is God's, and so because we cannot give it to God directly, hand to hand, we give it to those less fortunate. We give to the church who gives to those as hands of God, diacto ministry. To be upon the straight path of self-denial, the opposite of self-love, is to look for blessing from God alone and not from our feeble attempts to create blessing. Friends, we know that we merit nothing but evil. And so those around us who hurt us merit nothing but evil. But what did Christ do? He took up his cross and sought to bless his people who hated him. We now consider people not according to the flesh, but according to Christ's spirit, so that we bless those who curse us, just as Jesus blessed us in the cross. If we have faith in him, when we were once called accursed children, we will be called blessed children if we follow in his footsteps. Christ's work was the ultimate blessing for those who cursed God, accursed children. We, you and I, still to this day curse God in our hearts so that we are worthy in and of ourselves of nothing but curses and condemnation. We were like Balaam and we're on the path to destruction, but God brought us out of that path. We are dependent upon our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ, for salvation, the salvation he bought for us as king. We all, like Balaam, have gone astray to follow our hearts. We have turned every one to his own way, to his own path, and the Lord has laid on him, that is Christ, the iniquity of us all. This is the hope for every person who wanders, for every repentant sinner God took us from the path of Balaam's self-loving and self-destruction. But God continues to bless Christians, to correct us gently, and so to work in our hearts to lead us to Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding, brothers and sisters, but come upon this way of self-denial. Reject self-reliance and put your faith in Christ and his righteousness alone for salvation. Take up your cross, Christian, because even when Balaam's try to curse us, even when false teachers try to curse us, if we are in God's way following God's truth, which is truth alone, it always turns to our blessing and to our good, even if we indeed suffer a cross on our back, if we do not give up. May God take these Balaam's who too often desire to walk in their own foolish way, cursed way of so-called self-love and self-blessing, and rather take us and teach us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and our possessions, and follow after the blessings which Christ alone has purchased and gives to us. 
as the fountain of all blessing. May he come soon, that we might be with him in eternal blessing, which he alone created and secures for us, guiding us on that path until we see him. Let us go to our great God in prayer. Oh Lord, how we so often wandered. Lord, we pray that you might bind us to yourself. Lord, as you have done in your Son, we thank you that you have shown your love. Lord, all of us, as we have wandered away from you, you as a good Father, chasten us that we might repent of our sin, repent of our self-love, repent of, of how we have directed our own lives to our own destruction and even denied the master who bought us. Lord, we pray that you would give us repentance, that we would follow after you more closely and look to you alone, the fountain of all blessing for our blessings. Lord, that every truth from Scripture, every command, great or small, in our own minds might be to us gold, might be to us our way, our lamp unto our path. Lord, show us that path. Show us the blessing of that path. And we pray, Lord, over all things, show us Jesus Christ, our great heavenly Savior. Come soon, O Lord, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.